MSW Media. Thanks to Aura Frames for supporting the Daily Beans. Aura Frames makes digital picture frames, and right now Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Visit auraframes.com to get up to $30 off their best-selling Carver frames. Plus, get free shipping with code DAILYBEANS at checkout. This deal ends May 14th, so don't wait. Terms and conditions apply. And a big shout-out today to Helix Sleep. Take their two-minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use promo code HELIXPARTNER. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, April 28th, 2023. Today, Mike Pence spent nearly eight hours testifying before Jack Smith's federal grand jury after the D.C. Circuit denied Trump's motion to block it. Trump lawyer Taco Pants began his cross-examination of E. Jean Carroll. The Supreme Court gaslights America once again. Senate Republicans vote against the Equal Rights Amendment. And Jamie Raskin's cancer is in remission. I'm your host, Allison Gill. So lots of breaking news at the end of the day today. I actually texted a friend like kind of a slow news day. And then within five minutes, bam, Nicole Wallace announces live on Deadline White House that Mike Pence, uh, she was talking to Garrett Hake on the ground there by the by the courthouse. Uh, Mike Pence testified in front of Jack Smith, probably himself. Well, he said Jack Smith, but I don't know if he met Jack Smith or Jack Smith's prosecutors, but testified from 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. So all day, we do not know if he's going to come back tomorrow or if he wrapped his testimony today. He took off pretty quickly, uh, ran a red light on the way out, by the way. So nobody's above the law. Hmm. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Uh, I know he's in a motorcade. Also, today we have a sneak peek of episode four of the podcast Long Shadow Rise of the American Far Right. That's going to come in the B block of the show, second segment. And I, I really recommend you take a listen to that and then catch up on the podcast. This episode four comes out this Sunday. Ooh, and speaking of Sunday, that's when the Jack podcast comes out with me and Andy McCabe. And of course, we're going to cover that uh, Mike Pence testimony and what it could mean and where that could, you know, it could indicate where we are in this investigation. So definitely check out the Jack podcast on Sunday. All right. We have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up from Friedman and Lagar at CBS, a federal appellate court denied former President Trump's request to halt former Vice President Mike Pence's testimony before a grand jury investigating January 6th. A three-judge panel on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals rejected Trump's claims of executive privilege over Pence's testimony. Pence was subpoenaed by special counsel Jack Smith in February as federal prosecutors have sought to question the former vice president about the events surrounding the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. It was unclear when Pence may testify at the time that this decision came down. Now we know, hours after this decision came out, Pence went to testify. Further appeal is possible, but doesn't look like it. As of Wednesday night, there were no court orders in place preventing Pence from answering questions on the probe. Justice Department is partially limited in what it can ask Pence based on another sealed court ruling, as we know. This is from Jeb Boesberg, the chief judge. 
on the D.C. District Court, he instituted certain guardrails on Pence's testimony, shielding him from questions about his role as president of the Senate, where he presided over the counting of electoral votes. That was on January 6th, as we know. Pence's legal team argued he was a member of the legislative branch and therefore immune from testifying about congressional proceedings under a provision called the Speech or Debate Clause. We've talked about this at length on the Jack podcast. Pence said he would not appeal Boesberg's ruling in that matter. And as I said, within hours of this ruling, Jack Smith had Pence before the federal grand jury Thursday from 9 a.m. to 4.30. And we'll cover this, like I said, in depth this Sunday on Jack. If you're not listening yet to Jack, now would be a good time to start. All right, from NBC, writer Eugene Carroll and content warning here. Carroll, who alleges in a lawsuit that Donald Trump raped her in the 90s in a department store, was questioned Thursday by a lawyer for the former president. That's taco pants, right? So the cross-examination started today. And it didn't go well for Trump's side. E. Jean was steadfast and clear in her answers. Um, she did an incredible job. Takapina asked, you were supposedly raped? And she, she uh, replied, not supposedly, I was raped. Carol, who's 79, maintains the attack happened while shopping with Trump in a Manhattan department store. She says it was 1995 or 1996. She went public with her claim in 2019, which then President Trump derided as a hoax that she made up to promote sales of a book in which she made the allegations. Takapina pressed her on details about the attack, asking skeptically about her contention that she didn't remember seeing any other people on the sixth floor in the lingerie department of Bergdorf Goodman. She said, I saw no one on the floor. That was uh, her telling Takapina her attention was trained on her conversation with Trump, which she thought was funny. It was kind of like a Saturday Night Live skit. And it was funny until, that is, until he assaulted her. And of course, Takapina asked why she didn't scream for help. I'm not a screamer. I was in a panic, fighting, she said. She became visibly emotional. You can't beat up on me for not screaming. People always ask, why didn't you scream? Some women scream, some don't. That's what Eugene said. Quote, he raped me, whether I screamed or not. And that's when she was sobbing. And also speaking loudly. Quote, if I was trying to lie, I would say I screamed my head off. But I did not scream. I didn't scream. After she fled the store, Carol said she called her friend, Lisa Birnbach, to tell her what happened and that she was laughing during the call. Takapina quoted from Carol's book where she wrote that Birnbach told her it wasn't funny. But I couldn't stop laughing, she wrote. You say that was the strangest thing of all, he asked. Yes, absolutely. Attributing her reaction to being full of adrenaline. She said Birnbach told her she'd been raped and she should call the police. I said, no way. I didn't want to tell my story, she said. I was afraid of Donald Trump. I asked if she would agree that not reporting the attack to the police is an odd fact. Carol said, no. Many women do not go to the police, and I understand why. In fact, this whole line of questioning, right, just sort of drills that point home. It's the usual fact, she added. She's a fucking warrior. She showed up today in court. She, she was incredible. Takapina's Cross will continue today. You can follow Adam Klasfeld or Inner City Press on Twitter for the play-by-play. -play. Also, some great reporting coming out from Jen Taub. I mean, there's all sorts of great great reporting on this. And from Horowitz and Hurley at NBC, a new statement signed by all nine Supreme Court justices stressing their commitment to ethics principles 
came under immediate fire for failing to respond to recent calls for the court to adopt a binding code of conduct. The statement was attached to a letter from Chief Justice John Roberts to the Senate Judiciary Committee Chair Dick Durbin that was made public Tuesday, in which he declined an invitation to testify at a committee hearing about the court's ethics rules. That is the check on the court, and he is refusing. The statement, which says the justices reaffirm and restate their commitment to ethical principles, falls short on several fronts. Democratic lawmakers were also quick to criticize it. Several experts faulted the court for doubling down on its decision not to adopt a formal code of conduct when public trust in the institution is at an all-time low. And there's also public backlash to some of its rulings on hot-button issues, of course, like abortion and guns. Now, quote, it's reflecting kind of a startling level of intransigence, given the problems the court is confronted with. And that was Charles Gay, a professor at Indiana University Marr School of Law, noting that public support for the court has plunged. Now, district and appeals court judges are bound by judicial ethics code that requires judges to avoid impropriety and the appearance of impropriety in all activities, just the appearance even. Judges who breach that code can be investigated and reprimanded through separate complaint processes. The Supreme Court, however, has no such procedure for complaints to be investigated short of the substantial step of impeachment. The nine justices say they follow the spirit of the code, and they've never adopted one of their own. Senators Angus King and Lisa Murkowski said Wednesday they will introduce legislation to require the court to create its own code of conduct as well as appoint an official to review public complaints and publish annual reports disclosing them. A similar bill had already been introduced by Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut. Arthur Hellman, a professor at the University of Pittsburgh School of Law, said the justice's statements of ethics is a step forward, but insufficient to address ethics concerns that have swirled around the court in recent years. It's also a sign that the court has no plan to adopt a binding code of ethics without substantial pressure from Congress. It's absolute bullshit. I signed a letter today saying donuts are healthy. There you go. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. (laughs) It's just bullshit. Now, uh, Stephen Gillers, who's a professor at the New York University School of Law, said amending the current code of conduct for the Supreme Court would be easy. It would pose no threat to the separation of powers. There is no excuse for failing to do so, he said. While it's true, that there's no way, sensibly, to enforce an ethics code against justices. That's not a reason not to adopt one. The enforcement will rely on the justice's honor and respect for the court itself, which currently some of them just don't have. Roberts has been invited to testify by the Senate Judiciary Committee's hearing next Tuesday about the court's ethical rules, but he suggested his participation could infringe on judicial independence. Leave us alone. You police yourselves, we'll police ourselves, basically. In recent weeks, the court has, as we know, come under increased scrutiny for stories we've reported here on The Beans after the ProPublica report described how Clarence Thomas accepted gifts and trips from Harlan Crow, a Republican donor and Nazi paraphernalia collector. Thomas did not disclose the gifts he received from Crow, prompting calls for Democrats on the judiciary for Roberts to investigate Thomas's conduct. Thomas has, has since updated his disclosure form and said, You know, I didn't have to report those. That was personal hospitality. Also, we had Gorsuch come under fire recently for a real estate deal from somebody who had 22 cases before his court. 
by buying a property that languished on the market for two years, but then was scooped up for $1.825 million by this person nine days after he was appointed. So Roberts' refusal to engage on the issue appeared to further enrage Democrats, with Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island saying the court was engaging in self-policing that has not served the American people well. This new statement of principles has virtually no utility, he said in a statement Tuesday. There's still no inbox to file a complaint, no process for fact-finding, no way of making ethics determinations, and thus no way of holding justices accountable. White House has introduced legislation to create a procedure to investigate and enforce Supreme Court disclosure rules, becoming one of the latest Democratic senators to do so. Durbin, Judiciary Committee chairman, said Supreme Court ethics reforms must happen whether the court participates in the process or not, yet he refuses to subpoena anybody to come in and talk. Quote, I'm surprised that Chief Justice's recounting of existing legal standards of ethics suggests current law is adequate and ignores the obvious. That's what he said in a statement in a response to Chief Justice John Roberts's letter. The justice's statement stipulated that they file the same annual financial disclosure reports as other federal judges do. Yeah, but they lie on them and there's no way to check them on it. Allegations of errors in those reports are referred to the Committee on Financial Disclosure, which can send a letter of inquiry to the justices. They follow the same general principles and standards for recusal other judges do. No, they don't. But the application of the principles can differ because of the court's unique position. We're special, the justices said. Just because I didn't recuse myself from 22 cases brought before me from someone who paid nearly $2 million for my property that I wasn't able to sell, doesn't mean we need a check on us. Come on. It's ridiculous. All right. From CNN, the Senate on Thursday failed to advance a resolution to remove the deadline for ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment, a proposed amendment to the Constitution. The resolution failed 51 to 47. 51 voted for, 47 voted against. Although it had two Republican co-sponsors, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, Everybody else opposed it on the GOP side. Republicans have generally argued they don't think the amendment is needed because of the equal protections provided to women in the 14th Amendment. We know that that's gone so well for marginalized people, the protection of the 14th Amendment. Mm -hmm. Women are a quasi-protected class, according to the Supreme Court. (laughs) We aren't even a full protected class. Supporters, however, say the ERA would ban discrimination on the basis of sex and guarantee equality for all under the Constitution. So. Why not just pass it? The vote served as a way for Democrats to put Republicans on the spot. That's what this was about. There's been little to no expectation that both chambers of Congress would pass this. But now we have them on the record. The ERA has been ratified by 38 states, meeting the required three-fourths needed to be approved. However, some of those states adopted it after a congressionally mandated deadline had passed, raising the question about the validity of those actions, and several others later rescinded their support. And that deadline was arbitrary and has nothing to do with the Constitution. It can be ratified, and it should be. The failed resolution would have waived that deadline, paving the way for the ERA to be adopted if both chambers of Congress passed it and was signed into law by the president. Quote, this joint resolution provides that the Equal Rights Amendment, which prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex, was ratified by three-fourths of the states and is therefore a valid constitutional amendment regardless of any time limit that was in the original proposal. Now, before Thursday's vote, the White House urged the Senate to pass the ERA, saying in a statement that no one's rights should be denied on account of their sex. 
and has long passed time to definitively enshrine the principle of gender equality in the Constitution. End quote. All right, some good news. Jamie Raskin made a statement today. Allow me to read it to you. Dear America, having now finished chemotherapy and rung the bell with my nurses and doctors, having a midterm PET scan report showing negative for any discernible cancer cells, and having a preliminary diagnosis of being in remission from diffuse large B-cell lymphoma with a 90% prognosis of no relapse, I am overwhelmed with gratitude and love. I feel love and gratitude not just for my family, my friends, my constituents, and my colleagues, but from the many thousands of people, both Marylanders and those of you living much further away, who reached out to me over the last five months with expressions of prayer, best wishes, concern, solidarity, sympathy, and moral encouragement, not to mention the beautiful gifts of bandanas, homemade scarves and sweaters, Capitol Police baseball caps, hospital scrubs, wool hats, chocolate chip cookies, Mandela bread, pea soup, vegan matzo ball soup, and gorgeous paintings, poems, and letters that I will treasure forever. I have many things that I want to say to the people across America who've stood by me and helped carry me through this prolonged challenge, and I will come to say them soon. Now, right now, my hemoglobin and white blood cell counts are plunging from my final five-day round of chemo, and I'm afraid I lack the energy to properly thank you all and express the enormity of my feelings about the enduring beauty and promise of our country. So another message will be coming soon to you all when I rebound from my still exhausted and immunocompromised condition. In the meantime, I just want to send you my profound appreciation with love and thanks. Jamie Raskin. We love you, Jamie. And finally, a little schadenfreude for your weekend. A federal judge in Iowa has ruled against Rep. Devin Nunes, who filed a lawsuit claiming he was defamed by articles published by Esquire magazine about his family's Iowa quote-unquote dairy farm. U.S. District Judge C.J. Williams ruled Thursday in favor of reporter Ryan Lizza, and Esquire publisher Hearst Magazines in a lawsuit Nunez filed, according to the Des Moines Register. Nunez served for 19 years representing California in the U.S. House before leaving Congress to run the social media platform Truth Social, which is largely owned by former President Donald Trump and currently under SEC, FINRA, and federal investigation. Nunez filed the lawsuit in 2019 after Liz's story on Nunez family's dairy farm in northwest Iowa was published in 2018. The article claimed the family kept their move from California to Iowa a secret and delved into questions about immigrants living illegally in Iowa who work at the state's dairy farms. In his ruling, Williams said a reasonable jury couldn't find the article's statement defamatory because it's true. So have a great weekend, Devin. All right, we'll be right back with a clip from Long Shadow, Rise of the American Far Right, and we will follow that up with the good news. Stick around. After these messages, Hey, everybody, it's AG. As you know, I used to toss and turn all night, which sucks because sleep is my favorite thing. I was struggling to find a comfortable position on my old mattress, but since switching to Helix mattresses, I have been sleeping like a baby. Every morning, I wake up feeling rested and refreshed. I can't believe I waited so long to upgrade my sleep setup. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. Take their two-minute online sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix Sleep understands everyone is different. We all have unique sleep preferences. And they have a range of models that you can choose from to meet your needs, including soft, medium, and firm options, as well as mattresses designed to keep you cool throughout the night. And they even have a Helix Plus for plus-size individuals. There's a perfect fit for everyone. 
I took the Helix Quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I wanted one that was medium firm and I sleep on my side. I could not be happier with my choice. It's a huge upgrade from my previous mattresses and I love how soft but also how supportive it is. It's truly helped me sleep better and wake up feeling refreshed. When you order your Helix mattress, it's shipped directly to your door for free and there's a 100-night risk-free trial so you can be sure you've made the right decision. Helix even offers a 10 or 15-year warranty so you can rest easy knowing you're making a long-term investment in your comfort. Say goodbye to tossing and turning and hello to a better night's sleep with Helix Sleep. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders plus two free pillows for our listeners. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use promo code HELIXPARTNER. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I am really excited to play this clip from the podcast Long Shadow for you. The timing couldn't be better. This clip is so relevant to this very moment, especially with Tucker getting fired and the revelations in his and other top Fox personnel's private messages. Uh, This clip traces the early arc of how fair and balanced Fox News became what it is today. Uh, They go back to Reagan ending the fairness doctrine and its impact on legacy media, and then how far-right extremism popped up on AM radio with Bill Cooper, a predecessor and hated enemy of Alex Jones. Uh, Cooper was out there, and his show directly influenced Timothy McVeigh's motives and conduct in the Oklahoma City bombing, for example. McVeigh even went on to Cooper's ranch, it was later revealed, and and told him to watch Oklahoma City. Cooper's shtick was mainstreamed then by Rush Limbaugh. And of course, the rest is history. Don't want to miss this. Long Shadow is like Rachel Maddow's Ultra, only even more relevant to the moment that we are in. This clip is an excellent example of that. So let's take a listen. This episode contains audio and descriptions depicting violence, as well as some harsh language. Please take care when listening. The 90s serve as a radicalizing decade for the right in the United States. People in the United States had a lot of reason to be angry and discontented and dissatisfied. These numbers should hit the White House like a fire alarm. It was a decade that started off with a sharp recession. The crisis, in short, is real. Continuing layoffs are no surprise to workers. For many people who lived in factory towns or industrial areas, the jobs that were going away were not coming back. 28 years service, I'm 52 years old, it's gonna be hard to find something else. It's an era of growing inequality where people are getting into more and more debt. So there's real frustration. This is Nicole Hemmer. I am an associate professor of history at Vanderbilt University, and I am a scholar of conservatism, media, and the far right. Hemmer says that in the 1990s, as middle America was in economic decline, a new and increasingly vocal group was on the rise. Let's go get them! What you see is the dominant political archetype of the early 1990s. The angry white male. While it's tempting to think that the archetype of the angry white male appeared in the 2010s, white men raged underneath much of the politics of the 80s and 90s. Good-paying jobs were being farmed out to foreign countries. Policies like affirmative action intended to level the playing field for minorities contributed to a growing sense that American culture had turned on white men. But up through the 80s, the angry white male didn't really have a place to turn to hear views he agreed with. There were only a few major news outlets, and they tended to be politically centered 
or shaded to the left. But that changed in 1987, when the FCC under Ronald Reagan ended what was known as the Fairness Doctrine. The Fairness Doctrine, which had been around since 1949, required radio and television stations to give time and attention to opposing viewpoints on controversial issues. A TV host couldn't talk about the pro-life abortion stance without also giving equal time to the pro-choice stance, too. But with the Fairness Doctrine gone, the way was paved for stations to talk about, well, whatever the hell they wanted to. In 1988, a year after the Fairness Doctrine ended, the angry white male got his voice when a twice-divorced college dropout and relatively unknown disc jockey was given a national show. And now here he is, Rush Limbo! Thank you, Mike Tyson! And our official disclaimer here on the award-winning, thrill-packed, ever-exciting, increasingly popular, growing by leaps and bounds, Rush Limbaugh program at WABC. The Rush Limbaugh show goes national, and it is unlike anything anyone had ever seen. Welcome to the Rush Limbaugh program, a program exclusively designed for rich conservatives and right-minded Republicans and those who want to be either or both. He created this very bombastic persona. This is, of course, a bunch of balderdash, a bunch of poppycock, a bunch of gobbledygook, a bunch of BS for those of you on the streets. Limbaugh's unvarnished brand of performative outrage and anti-government conservatism quickly found a huge and hungry audience. More than 7 million listeners a week hear Limbaugh lambasting liberals, railing against the homeless, beating up on feminists, gays, and those he calls peaceniks and environmental wackos. He understood that media had to be entertaining. He used all kinds of parody songs and repeated bits. He had this thing that he would play for environmental updates. He would play Born Free and then have the rat-a-tat-tat of a machine gun and the animals crying in pain. This was really entertaining for an audience who had not had their conservatism delivered in that kind of unpredictable packaging before. He drew millions of listeners. And like any good host, Limbaugh knew what his audience wanted to hear. There definitely was an undercurrent of white resentment. Several black leaders claiming that there is a double standard when blacks are on trial. He had that kind of very flippant racism. And I know a lot of you people are saying, boy, this limbo, you're getting racist. This is not racist at all. I'm really and Limbaugh had a core message for his angry white male listeners. Not only are you losing out, you're losing out because... The government has said that Black people can have your jobs and that women can have your jobs. And oh, by the way, women aren't just coming for your jobs, but they're also coming for your position in the family. They're taking your manhood as well. It fed this sort of slate of resentments. By the early 90s, Rush Limbaugh is a powerhouse in media and pretty much synonymous with right-wing media in that moment. As it turns out, there was a lot of money to be made in channeling the anger of the white male. Rush made millions. But over time, his show even changed the center of the GOP, as the conservative movement's most influential voices began to shift from caring about policies and politics to caring about profit. As Rush's audience grew, he became a sort of tastemaker for the Republican Party. 
And even though he never held elected office, he had more and more influence on Republican lawmakers. Especially after Republicans take over the House in 1994, encouraging Republican politicians to never compromise, to never work with the liberals, to take the farthest right position that they can. Limbaugh would continue to influence Republican politics for decades, bringing far-right ideals closer and closer to the mainstream. Limbaugh's success proved that there was a huge audience in America for right-wing thought. And every day, that audience was growing. In his wake, more and more Rush Limbaugh's would pop up all over the country, hoping for a share of Limbaugh's success they would range ever further to the right. They started to push the same white nationalist ideology that had long been traded in the dark corners of the right wing, passed around on self-published tracks, and handed out in pamphlets at gun shows. AM radio was full of hosts spewing that same message. The country is out of control. It's being overrun by non-whites. The government is corrupt. And America is in peril. Some of these hosts would encourage and contribute to real-world violence. Limbaugh had created a new media movement whose personalities would bring the far right into the mainstream and change the face of the American political landscape forever. I'm Garrett Graff, and this is Long Shadow, Rise of the American Far Right. Episode 4, Infowar. If you happened to be driving across the United States in the early 90s, and you had a shortwave radio, you could pick up WWCR basically anywhere. Worldwide Christian Radio. WWCR now begins operation on 9.350. And at a certain hour, you might hear something like this. This theme song, if you want to call it that, heralded the start of a program called the Hour of the Time, a fear-inducing cacophony of air raid sirens, women screaming, police dogs barking, and the footbeats of jack-booted government thugs. The Hour of the Time was hosted by a man named Bill Cooper, who beamed the show from his bunker of a house settled on a remote hilltop in southeast Arizona. You're listening to The Hour of the Time. I'm William Cooper. Cooper was, in many ways, the original Alex Jones, a paranoid, anti-government conspiracy theorist. When the Fairness Doctrine was still in play, Cooper would have had a hard time getting any airtime at all. But it was gone, and Rush Limbaugh had paved the way for Cooper to make wild claims about the state of our country. For those of you who will do what the people in Nazi Germany did and wait and wait and wait until finally it's too late and they take you down to the railroad cars and off to a labor concentration camp. Shame on you because I'm telling you it is happening here in the United States right this very moment. Cooper claimed that he worked in military intelligence during the Vietnam War where he said he learned of the many conspiracies the government was trying to conceal that it had murdered John F. Kennedy, 
that it was in communication with aliens, and that a shadowy cabal of elites, the Illuminati, controlled all of the governments of the world. We have been taught lies. Reality is not at all what we perceive it to be. And a new world order is beating down the door. He believed in the new world order, an extension of the Illuminati theory, that the U.S. was losing its sovereignty to a shadowy global government, a cabal that included Wall Street, the Federal Reserve, and the United Nations, all conspiring together to disarm the American populace and enact their sinister plans. By 1993, Cooper was seeing signs of that coming to pass, with a standoff at Ruby Ridge. First we had Weaver. The federal government had set him up to destroy him because he would not cooperate in spying upon his neighbors. A sniper shot Vicki Weaver in the head and killed her. He was enraged by the Clinton administration and what had happened at Waco. You murdered those people for nothing. They were guilty of no crimes whatsoever. You are liars. You are traitors and you are murderers. And that is the truth. Cooper had become an influential figure with the growing far-right militia movement. And after Waco, he issued a call to arms. Are you going to stand up on your two feet like a real man and a real woman with God by your side and take this country back? and destroy these people. Cooper wasn't the only guy advocating violence to his listeners. And we're back here at Radio Free DC, the G. Gordon Liddy Show. G. Gordon Liddy, a disgraced former FBI agent who had done time for his role in the Watergate scandal, had a radio talk show too. And he used his airtime to make his feelings on government agents very clear. Now the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms comes to disarm you, uh, and they are bearing arms. Resist them with arms. Go for a headshot. They're going to be wearing bulletproof vests. One listener in particular was taking the things he was hearing on right-wing radio very seriously. He was a guy who had spent some time with the Michigan militia and had seen the siege at Waco firsthand. He had been crisscrossing the country, visiting gun shows, and listening to Bill Cooper. How many more people are you going to allow to be jailed, persecuted, burned to death, murdered, because you are a coward. In the fall of 1994, this man and his army buddy showed up at Cooper's compound in Arizona for an unexpected visit. Cooper later said that the two were clean-cut, very polite, like military guys who were off-duty. He said they were interested in his philosophical and political messages, but disagreed with him on his methods. Cooper saw violence as a last resort. These men did not. Before they left, the younger man opened the trunk of his car, which was full of copies of the Turner Diaries, and handed one of them to Cooper. I already have a copy of that racist book, Cooper remembered telling them. As they were on their way out, they told him, Watch Oklahoma. As the chopper goes around the side of the federal building, look at that shot. It is absolutely incredible. A few months after he visited Cooper's compound, Tim McVeigh blew up the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building with the help of his Army buddy Terry Nichols. And when McVeigh was charged a few days later, 
the world turned its attention to the far-right movement and the patriot militias that McVeigh was loosely connected to. It was commonly said that the Oklahoma City bombing destroyed the militia movement, that even people on the extreme far-right were horrified by the murder of 168 people and so on, and they kind of, you know, tucked their tails between their legs and went home. I think that's entirely false. Mark Potok had reported on the bombing and was covering the reaction to it in the far-right militia community. It was seen by very many people on the far-right as a kind of thrilling, if a bit wild and bloody, strike back at the government. There were quite a few people saying, Hail McVeigh. Hey, everybody, you still doing last minute looking for that special Mother's Day gift? I have it. I have the idea for you. It's called Aura Frames, A-U-R-A Frames. They have you covered. With their innovative digital photo frames, you can display all your favorite memories without the hassle of printing them out or framing them or matting them and spending all that money. The Aura app and Wi-Fi connection make it easy to upload unlimited photos and videos from anywhere in the world from the whole family with no fees ever. Plus, you can add personalized messages and memories to the frame that will appear as soon as it's plugged in. And no wonder Aura Frames was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and The Strategist and featured in hundreds of gift guides. Give mom or grandma or your sister or your aunt the gift of cherished memories with Aura Frames this Mother's Day. I recently gifted an Aura Frame to my not-so-tech-savvy aunt, and it was the perfect gift. It's super easy setup, took a couple of minutes. I recorded a, a custom video to say hello to her, and she was able to display all her favorite photos without the struggle of printing or framing them. She loves how Aura helps her stay connected with family and friends that live far away. Because we can use ad, we can add photos to the app from wherever we are. It's also the best for displaying our favorite pet photos. The frames even come packaged with a premium gift box and no price tag, so you don't have to wrap it. Uh, and with the ability to react with cute emojis, it's easy to show love for photos, send congratulations, and more. I highly recommend Aura Frames to anyone looking to showcase their cherished memories. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can visit AuraFrames, A-U-R-A frames.com and get up to $30 off their best-selling Carver frames. That's AuraFrames.com. Plus, listeners can get free shipping when you use code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. The deal ends May 14th, so don't wait. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, shit kids say, uh, whoopee stories, stuffy stories, I love those so much. Uh, if you put tape on the floor and see if your animal or your pet or your cat or your bird sits in the box, I'm, I'm always interested in hearing about that. A shout out to somebody you love, a local business in your area, your business, anything you want to send us at all, you can do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. All right, first up from anonymous, pronouns he and him. I loved the interview with Jesse Frieden. I donated to Jesse's project. I've been doing an anti-domestic project for several years, I guess anti-domestic violence project for several years that's online at domesticviolencearoundus.com. It's been dormant for a little while as I figure out how to move forward with it. I only share it with you because I know that sharing stories like yours and Jesse's project changes lives because people have told me so. It's the most important work I've done, including especially my job. I don't want any publicity for my project now. I just want to say good on both of you. Side note, 
I had to do something as a privileged old cis white guy who had no clue the extent of domestic violence and abuse in our country. And once I knew the numbers. Anyways, I've submitted some pet tax because Ginger is my awesome toothless rescue. I love toothless rescues. I've submitted about her before. Our photo is of her laying with me in the morning and the other is her demanding me to resume petting her when I had stopped doing so. Oh, bad. Yeah, you can't stop petting. Side note number two. I listen to the podcast every morning while easing into the world with my coffee and breakfast. Oh, look at the baby. I remember. I remember this baby now. So cute. Foot on the face. It's time to get up, Papa, and feed me. Thank you so much for sending these in. And that's so cool. I can't wait for you to get back on that project. It is. Yeah. Domestic violence is rampant, sadly. Next up from Auntie Shit Show, Kelly from Boston. Pronouns she and her. Greetings, Leguminati. I just now finished listening to Thursday's show featuring Jesse Frieden and realized I had to write in. I work for a tiny nonprofit in the Boston area where we do fun and creative work with kids year round. And for the last 10 plus years, have had kids who are trans, non-binary, and gender expansive. I love that. Thank you to the listener who sent that in a few weeks ago, the term gender expansive. This year, we decided to add a week to our summer day camp called Affirm, a week of crafts, games, tinkering, creating, and just letting kids be themselves. We're currently hiring and have plenty of spots open for kids aged 7 to 13 who identify as queer, trans, non-binary, non-gender conforming, and gender expansive. I'm sad to say I'm a little afraid to put too much information on here, though. I understand. I love the Beans community, and I've met a number of you in person and, of course, on Zoom, and I know how wonderful you are. I worry about the probably tiny number of nutters who might use this information for evil. I want to get the word out, but I want to be cautious and protect the kids and staff. Included is a pic of part of our beautiful and chaotic space in an old warehouse in the Boston area, and our view of Boston featuring the game we play a lot called Spot the Sitgo Sign. Miss you already, DG. And AG, can't wait to get another pickle back with you next time you're in town. Hell yeah. Uh, if you want to know more, uh, send a message to hello at MullerSheWrote.com and put Boston in the subject line. Again, that's an email to hello at MullerSheWrote.com and put Boston in the subject line if you want more information about the good work they're doing over there. Thank you for this beautiful view. Lovely warehouse. I love the orange couch, by the way. And the, I, orange is like one of my favorite colors. Thank you for this. And yes, definitely another a pickleback when I come to Boston. <laughs> Appreciate that. All right, next up from Shan from NoHo, pronouns she and her. Hey, AG and DG, I discovered this podcast from listening to the Stephanie Miller Show. What a delightful way to get my cup full of morning news, like hanging out with the cool coworkers who are smart and swear. I'm sending a photo of my rescue pups. I've had them a year. Mando is the blonde on his hind legs. He's five foot three, a gentle giant and a sweetheart. I've never seen this dog not happy. Leia, Senator Princess General, is the German shepherd next to him. My wife and I picked her because she was traumatized. She was a shutdown mess in the shelter. She didn't want to interact with anyone. We had no idea she was a purebred. And with some love, security and structure, she's blossomed into an amazing dog. The dog you see in the shelter isn't always what you end up with if you put in some love and effort. That's such a good point. Keep up the great work and thank you so much for my morning beans. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, that's a big, tall dog. (laughs) She's got a couple of, like a half a foot on the German Shepherd there. So absolutely beautiful. No, so great. All right, next up from Data Diva. Hi, Data Diva. Pronouns she and her. Good news. I was nominated for the Powerful Idea Award for Best Trainer. It's an industry award recognizing people making a difference in political and campaign work. Congratulations. My nonprofit, Generation Data, was also nominated. 
There's a podcast category, but I didn't realize it. I'll make sure you get nominated next year. Anyone can vote. I'd appreciate a vote from fellow Leguminati for me. I'm the one with the picture of me holding a koala instead of a headshot because everyone looks more awesome holding a koala. We will include the link in the description and it's gainpower.awardsplatform.com slash entry slash vote slash I-V-W-A-G-E-B-A slash Z-D-V-K-W-V-K-N. You can go ahead and rewind and listen to that as many times as you need. And we'll also put the link in the show notes. And yeah, it's the, it's the, it's Dada Diva holding a koala. You can't miss the photo. Funny story. Last time I wrote in and praised my best friend, Neil, for taking care of me when I was in the hospital. I called him, I remember this, and told him to listen to the Daily Beans episode, that particular one. When I called him later, he was confused about why I wanted him to know about cacao beans. I hadn't realized he listened to podcasts on Spotify and was listening to a podcast called The Daily Bean about actual beans. <laughs> For pet tax, I submit a science experiment. Do cats prefer tape squares, triangles, or circles that look like they were drawn while jumping up and down? While my sample size is small, my cat's answer seems to be none of the above. Further study is required. <laughs> There's a triangle, a circle, and a square, and two cats just sitting outside of all of them. Uh, well, congrats, Dada Diva, for being nominated. Everybody go vote. Thank you for the pod pet picks. Thank you for the good work you're doing in Boston. Yes, we will have a pickleback when I come back. Thank you again for sending me the beautiful toothless dog, and I'm glad everybody enjoyed the interview with Jesse Frieden. What an incredible and amazing project. And then I want to thank our sound engineer again, Desiree McFarland, for her work on that project as well. All right, everybody. I'll be gone for a week. No, there will be no beans next week. Uh, I'll be posting maybe some audio uh, on Patreon. If you're, if you're not a patron of the beans, come on. Come on over. Uh, it's like three bucks a month, I think. It's $36 a year. You get all sorts of great benefits and bonuses. Um, I'll be in D.C. this weekend for White House Correspondents Dinner Weekend. And uh, we have a, a, a VIP cocktail reception for, for patrons uh, on Sunday. So there's all sorts of cool benefits. You can come to our, bi, was it bi-monthly, bi-weekly? Every two weeks we have a Zoom call where you can ask me anything and we can have cocktails and mocktails. It's like a happy hour. Uh, and the community is just so amazing. Our, our private uh, social media groups are incredible. I think we have Discord uh, where we don't share classified information. Uh, so we, we'd love to have you as part of uh, the official uh, Patreon Leguminati. You just go to patreon.com slash Muller, she wrote. If you sign up at the $5 level, you get the beans and Jack ad-free. That's, that's the main draw, right? The ad-free feed. But honestly, to me, the main draw is this community. So thank you so much because patrons, you make this show possible. You make it so we can take a week paid off next week. And so thank you so much. Uh, and, you know, follow me on Twitter. I will be tweeting about the news, all the important news that you need. You can follow me on Twitter at Muller, she wrote. And uh, we'll be back in your ears the Monday after that. So, of course, tune into Jack on Sunday. And then, of course, next Wednesday, there will be an episode of Clean Up on All 45 with me and Pete Struck. So we're not going to take that away from you. And until next time, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, vote blue over Q, and bring somebody with you. I've been AG, and them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane. 
with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.